0: Welcome to Cascades Bible Church. There are certain events, things that happen within Scripture, which almost stand as as milestones or these elevated points uh, that influence the rest of Scripture. One of those is in Genesis chapter twelve. You don't need to turn there. In Genesis twelve. Uh, God and Abraham meet. And God tells Abraham, he says, Now Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of earth shall be blessed. And we've come to know this as the Abrahamic covenant. But God makes this promise to Abram that, you know, I make a promise to you that I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you offspring, make you a nation, and I'm going to bless you. And not only you, but I'm going to bless the entire world through you. And so he makes this covenant with Abram. And this kind of then influences everything that goes forward. And we know that it's not just a straight track. You know, unfortunately, Abram goes to the land, sets up there. They take a little detour, and they end up ultimately in slavery in Egypt. And then they come out of slavery in Egypt. And so now they're headed to get the land. And unfortunately, they take another detour. Forty years in the wilderness wandering. Uh, Moses is leading them at this point. And, And after 40 years, they finally come back to the land. And they're going to enter the land. And Moses dies. And so you have this death that occurs at the end of Deuteronomy. And at the end of Genesis, Genesis ended with a death also. And then Joshua picks up the book of Joshua. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning, if you want to turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. <clears throat> but Joshua it really is not a separate book from Deuteronomy. It's not separated from the five books that came before it. In fact, it's a direct continuation of it. You know, you'll hear people ask the question or talk about how did the Bible get canonized? How did the Bible get set and established? How did they decide what books were going to be included in the Bible? And in the Old Testament, it's actually really simple. It's the book was written, it was understood while it was being written that it was God's word, that it was part of scripture. And the people accepted it as such. <clears throat> and you can tell this really by the first word in the book of Joshua. And the first word in the book of Joshua is also the first word in the beginning of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then also Joshua. And it's this Hebrew word. So if you look in your English Bible, it probably says something like after or something like that. That's really not what the word is. It's this technical Hebrew word that's this continuation of a narrative. It's basically telling the reader that this is a continuation of the story that came right before it. Where it left off, it just continues on. Now, that word, if you want to write it down, if you translate it into English, it would translate as and. And. A-N-D. I know, right? It's kind of anticlimactic, Right? But that is literally the first word of Joshua is, and it came to pass. And so it picks up right at the narrative that ends in Deuteronomy, that Moses dies for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. And it came to pass after the death of Moses, the servant of Yahweh, that Yahweh said to Joshua, the son of Nun. Moses' assistant. And so now Joshua is taking over for Moses. There's this death, this funeral that happens with Moses. And now Joshua is going to assume command. And God is now going going to talk to Joshua. And he's going to, in a sense, reiterate the promise that he had made to Abraham, that he had then told to Joseph and that he had then told to uh, Moses and to the people and now he's going to, again, reinforce this idea of that Abrahamic covenant. And here they are. They're coming in to, to receive the land. They've already grown into a nation. Granted, can you really be a nation if you don't have a land, though? You have a lot of offspring, but are you really a nation? So they need that land for the na- to be a nation. And then they've received some blessings, they've been pulled out of slavery, but they haven't received the kind of blessings that were promised in the the covenant. And the world itself has not been blessed by them yet. But the land is going to be really this first step to start to solidify God's promise of that Abrahamic covenant. And so God will start and he will say to Joshua, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And, and, you know, you think about whenever we have a great leader that dies, what do we do? We stop. We take a a day of mourning, a week of mourning, whatever. We have ceremonies and things. Not here. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people. It's not time to stop. It's not time to reflect. It's time for you to listen to me and to go claim the land that I had promised to your father Abraham. He says, now therefore rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as i promised to moses from the wilderness and this lebanon as far as the great river the river euphrates all the land of the hittites to the great sea toward going down of the sun shall be your territory no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life just as i was with moses so i will be with you i will not leave you or forsake you be strong and courageous For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And so he starts to tell them, I'm going to fulfill the promise that I had made. And what I need from you is to be unified with me. And so this is really the first thing that we're going to see is that God is telling Joshua I need you to be unified with me. There's this idea that there needs to be this unity with Yahweh, this unity with God. So often people read these passages through here and they focus on the idea of be strong and courageous. And they'll preach sermons and lessons and everything about be strong and courageous. Look at how many times it's repeated throughout the book. Be strong and courageous. You need to be strong and you need to be courageous. It wasn't that Joshua needed to build build up his strength. He didn't need to build up his courage. He didn't need to build up the strength of Israel or build up the courage of Israel. The, The strength and courage that they had was the direct result of them being unified with Yahweh. Think about it. Joshua and the nation of Israel, if on their own, go and build up their strength, their power, What could they do? They're going into this foreign land. They have no support structure. They're not going to conquer these cities. They're not going to conquer these people. But the creator of the universe says to them, I made a promise to your forefathers, to Abram. I made a promise to Moses. And now I am here to fulfill this promise. And all I need from you is to do what I tell you to do. Follow me. Be unified with me. Seek my will, be unified to Yahweh. And then, now, if you realize you're Israel, we have the support of Yahweh, the creator of the universe, the the one that established us as a people. Okay, yeah, I can be strong and courageous because I don't have to fight this battle. He doesn't ask them, build up your strength, get your courage up because you have to go conquer these people. He says, I'm going to go conquer these people. And I am going to give it to you. All you got to do is follow where I tell you to go. Be unified with me. And you say, that's great. But how does that transfer over to us? How does that transfer over to the church? Because we're not given land to conquer. And in fact, the promise of land was not even made to us. Us as the church has no right to claim the land. The land was a promise to Israel, to the nation of Israel, to the people. So how does this transfer then over to us? The New Testament authors apply it this way. In Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, he says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And here he makes this direct quote back to the words that were given to Joshua. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So just as Israel was to be emboldened by being unified with Yahweh, with their God, with the creator, likewise, as Christians in the church, we're not Israel, but we worship the same God. We worship Yahweh, and he's made promises to us. He's made promises that if you place your faith in me, that I'll save you, I'll provide you eternal life, that I will uh, work to sanctify you. And all of those promises, we know he'll keep. Why? Because he kept his promises to Israel. It's the same God. He's this promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. So we know in our covenant that he is going to care for us, that he's not going to abandon us, and it'll provide us strength and courage. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And and as you go through Joshua, this is a constant theme. Uh, He he says it here in verse 5. In verse 9, he says it again. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For Yahweh your God is with you wherever you go. And then you get to verse 17, and he says, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may Yahweh, your God, be with you as he was with Moses. So the first thing we see is this unity with Yahweh. And it's the same for the church. The church needs to be unified with God. The, the goal, the purposes of the church are not to... Establish a Christian nation. It's not to uh, convert society and make a Christian society. Our goal is to align ourselves with God's will, which is to build up the church, to spread the gospel, to give the good news, and to work on our sanctification. This is the instructions given to the church. And so, as long as we align ourselves with God's instructions, we can have strength and we can have courage because we know that we've unified with God's will. God's instruction to Joshua continues, and it'll shift from having unity with him to having unity with his word, the priority that his word will carry in Joshua's life. In verse seven, he says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law, so everything that came before this, these five books that came before, are my word, are my instructions to you. They shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for Yahweh your God is with you wherever you go. So allow my word to provide instructions for your life. And what does that look like? Well, that means have it in your mouth, he says. Be talking about it, just like you did today, reciting it, allowing it to flavor your speech. And then meditate on it day and night. And understand that biblical concept of meditation is not that you, uh, you know, sit there and try and empty your mind, but rather you're filling your mind. It's not good enough to just memorize God's word and be able to say it, but then you meditate on it and you say, how does this change my life? How does this change my heart? How does this change how I think and how I act and and, and how I raise my children and how I love my wife and all aspects of your life? That's what meditation is. Okay, I've read it. I understand what it says. Now, how does this impact me? And how is this going to make a change? So you're, you're talking about it. It's in your mouth. You're meditating on it. And then he says, be careful to do according to all that is written in it. So you're following the instructions. You know, it's not just that you, okay, I memorized it. I understand how it changed my life, but, you know, I think I've got a better way. You know, it would be like Israel crossing over the river. God says, I want you to go march around Jericho. And Joshua to say, that seems a little foolish to me. Instead, we're going to go over to I because they're a little bit weaker. And we're going to go attack them, get some experience, build ourselves up, build up that strength you're talking about, God. And then maybe we'll go to Jericho. That would be foolishness. God said, I want you to go to Jericho. I want you to walk around the city. And so they listened to his instructions. They listened to his commands. You know, we may not always agree with God's commands to us. We may not always agree with his instructions. But they're God's instructions. They're God's commands. And he says, allow these things to direct your life. Because if you do then your life is going to be prosperous. You're going to find success. And that doesn't mean you're going to have an easy life. It doesn't mean that you're going to be wealthy. It doesn't mean you're going to have the five-bedroom, four-bathroom, two-car garage, house. That's not what he's saying. You'll find success and prosperity in fulfilling God's will, in being aligned with God and living out his will. the application for us. You say, well, does it really apply? 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. that The man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Notice he doesn't say all of Jesus's words are breathed out by God, He doesn't say all of uh, John and Jesus' words or all of just Paul's words, but it's all Scripture. Everything that is recognized as Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness to completely equip you for every good work that you can be fulfilled. You don't need anything else. You don't need to add on to it. You don't need God's word and these extra additional sacraments. You don't need God's word and this extra additional rule book. We don't need to help God's word. God's word is sufficient and it stands on its own. And what are we to do with it? We're to talk about it. We're to meditate on it, and we're to apply it and live it out. And it's all of Scripture, which really leads in to the next passage, verses 10 through 18. 10 through 18 of Joshua chapter 1 is one of those passages in your quiet time when you're doing or your yearly Bible reading where you kind of just race through it as quickly as possible. And you go, okay, like I don't even know what to do with this. Uh, How do I even apply this? It doesn't really change my life, but I've got got the knowledge of what happened. So here, let's look at what happens with Joshua. And Joshua, verse 10, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that Yahweh your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, commanded you, saying, Yahweh your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. And you stop there and you say, what what's going on here? What is the context? Why is he talking to the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh? And why is he reminding them to keep their word to the promises that were made to them? What's going on? What had happened was the Reubenites, Gadites, and this half-tribe of Manasseh, they raised livestock. And there was land east of the Jordan. Mind you, the promised land is west of the Jordan. This land east of the Jordan was prime property for raising livestock, cattle and goats and such. And so they had asked, can we have this land? And Moses said, yeah, you can settle this land. You can have it. After everybody else has settled in the promised land. So now here they are. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They're in the land that was promised now to the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half tribe of Nasseh. They're there. And now they're getting ready to cross over the river. It would have been really easy for these two and a half tribes to say, We've made it. Good luck, the rest of you. You know? success we'll be praying for you and hope everything turns out well as you go over there. But instead Joshua says remember you're not allowed to settle until the rest of us are settled. And so here we see Joshua is reminding them that there needs to be this unity within the people of Yahweh. That it's not good enough to just look out for your own needs, to look out for what you want, but rather The whole really is greater than the individual. And so he continues and he says, verse 14, your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until Yahweh gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that Yahweh, your God, is giving them, then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. the land that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise, and some people will say, oh, they got to leave their their wives and their kids and their livestock behind, you know so I mean they didn 't have that burden and, and the their wives and children and livestock were able to stay behind in protection, uh, and they went in. You know, I mean, was that really fair? Stop and think about it this way: imagine myself, my wife, my five kids, and we travel down to D.C. and we go down into Southeast D.C. and I drop my kids and wife off, you know, at nine o'clock at night in Southeast D.C and say, I'll see you in about five days because I got to go take care of some stuff and you're going to be safer if you just stay here on this street corner than if you come with me. He would say, are you insane? Like, you're crazy. This is essentially what he's doing. Go ahead, leave your wives, your children, and your livestock east of the Jordan in enemy territory, unarmed because all the armed men are going to come with us, so they're going to have no protection. So now the Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, they also have to rely on Yahweh's protection to protect their family, their livestock, their children, everything that they're leaving behind. And I want you to go into the land to help your other brothers. He continues in verse 16. He says, and they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may Yahweh, your God, be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And so we see here the people agree To the plan that Joshua has laid out, the plan that Joshua has conveyed from Yahweh. They agree that we will go with you into the land, help you conquer the land, and once you find rest, then we'll come back to our wives, children, and our livestock. Hebrews again gives us a glimpse into how this works out in the church. You see, as a church, we gather together not to get information. We gather together not just because you know, we need some downtime or we like to you know, to socialize. We gather together to worship God and encourage each other, to build each other up. Just as the Reubenites, Gadites, half the tribe of Manasseh had to go into the land to assist and help and to strengthen the rest of the nation We come together to help build each other up, to encourage each other. You see, we understand that no matter worldwide, wherever Christians worship, we're all together as one nation. Just because the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe Manasseh were on the east side of the river didn't mean that they weren't a part of the nation. They were still part of the nation. Likewise, churches in other cultures, countries, places, they are still part of our Christian family. And so we look to encourage and build them up. And then locally, within our individual bodies of worship, we build each other up and we encourage each other and we disciple each other. And this is what the, the Great Commission is. Everybody mistakes the Great Commission as go and, and evangelize, but the Great Commission is build up disciples, make disciples. Evangelism is like the first step of that, but the rest of it is you baptize within the church and then you teach them God's word and how to follow God's word and the instructions in God's word and you make disciples out of them. And so you strengthen and encourage each other. And so we see here at the beginning of Joshua, these instructions to Israel really are still instructions to us as God's people. We're not Israel. We haven't taken anything away from Israel. But we are still God's people. And it's still the same God that Israel worshipped that was providing them instruction. And he hasn't changed. He's still the same. You go to the end of Joshua. And the end of Joshua ends similar to the way that Joshua begins, where you have more death. You have three people, or three funerals this time, two deaths, three funerals. Joshua 24, verses 29 through 33 says, After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Yahweh, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. Israel served Yahweh all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that Yahweh did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in a piece of the land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. You say, well, this is kind of a, a, a bummer way to end this whole book. You know, because this book is kind of exciting, you know, and it's an encouraging book, and there's a lot of victory. There's some defeats. There's some lessons that they have to learn. But it's way better than, like, the book that comes next. The book that comes next is just... Like, it's dreadful at times. And you know, and they end on really a kind of a low key note. But it's not. Again, think of it reading it from the mind of an, an Israelite. Where are the bones of these three men buried? They're not buried in Egypt, they're not buried in some foreign, distant land. They're buried in the place that God promised He would give them. And God has given it to them. He's fulfilled a portion of his promise by bringing them into the land and giving them a part of the land and allowing them to be established there to the point that these towns are known by these people. Eleazar is buried at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son. It had been given to him in the hill country of Ephraim. So here's this town that was given to him. Joseph. Joseph should have been buried in Egypt But they bring his bones from Egypt and they bury him in the land that he had bought long ago, which then becomes an inheritance for his descendants and is carried down through that line to be a reminder to them of the fulfillment of God's promise, that I'm going to give you this land. And so we see them start to fulfill this promise of land. And they're already a great nation at this point of of a lot of people, a lot of offspring. And now they've got this land, they're set up as this nation The people in the other countries surrounding them recognize and starting to respect them. And so we see God fulfilling that. And then the third part of God's promise to Abraham was blessing. And there's been some blessing to Israel, but not a whole lot of blessing. And then what about the blessing to the entire world? I'm going to bless you, but I'm also going to be a blessing to the entire world. And I, again, think that all of these deaths at the end of Genesis, at the end of Deuteronomy, at the end of Joshua, all of these deaths help to remind us of what's going on. What are we doing here? Why are we in this situation? And what do we really need? You know, that we're in a position where death reigns, where death has a grip, on mankind. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're Abram. It doesn't matter if you're Joseph. It doesn't matter if you're Moses. It doesn't matter if you're Joshua. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody is going to die. And what are you supposed to do with that? And that is that third part of the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant, is that conquering of death. Yeah, you know, the blessing to Israel, yeah, they received some blessing but the real blessing is going to come through Christ. It's going to come through David and down through Christ. And that blessing then spreads through Israel and spreads out to the entire world. And that's where we share in that Abrahamic covenant. We we get to partake in that blessing. And God will establish a new covenant in Jeremiah. He promises, I'm going to set up this new covenant where the Holy Spirit is no longer going to be just kind of hanging out with you or in the holy of holies. But now he's going to temple and reside within you as individuals. He's going to empower you. And that's that establishment of the church. And so we're reminded as we read about these deaths of what our problem is, that we're going to die, and what the solution is to that is our salvation. And then we think of the blessing of Christ that was promised to Abraham. Let me close in some prayer. Dear Lord, we uh, thank you for your covenants that you made to the nation of Israel, the covenant that you made to Abraham, that you have over the years fulfilled that, that you have proven yourself to be a promise-keeping God, that you have not forsaken your covenants, you have never forsaken your people, And that we can find assurance in that that when we look to the covenant that you made with us and the promises that you made to us, that we can find a strength and a courage, that we can unify with you, that we can align ourselves with your will, that we can study your word, that we can allow your word to impact our lives, our relationships, and change us, and that we can, once changed, be unified with each other, Where separation existed before, we can now find friendship within family. I pray that you would encourage Cascades and the people here, that you would allow them to find that type of unity, that type of fellowship, that they would then turn that out to the world as they share your gospel and they share the word that you've instilled within their hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by today's message. For more information or more messages like this, visit us at com or subscribe via your favorite podcast app.